0: And welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and joining me today is
1: Jeff Kanata.
0: And it's just me and Jeff today. For now. For now. For now. We got Devendra and uh, Wilson Morales joining us later for our review of the Five Bloods today. But uh, Devendra's in the process of moving across the country, and it's extremely busy for him. And so uh, he wanted to sit out the rest of the podcast. Which is fine with us because that means it's time to talk about the Vendor Hardware. No, I'm just joking. We, <laughs> we wish him the best on his move and uh, hope that he and his family are are doing well, uh, getting ready to go uh, leave the big city. Uh, but you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can email us at at gmail.com. We're going to be discussing some of your emails today and then diving in to uh, what we've been watching. Got some short what we've been watching for you and then reviewing Spike Lee's new Netflix movie, The Five Bloods, again with Wilson Wilson Morales from BlackFilm.com. So that's what's in store for you today on the podcast. Let's start by talking about some emails. Uh, Okay, this email comes in from someone named True No Limit. Please use a real name, even if it's a pseudonym, guys. Uh, But True No Limit writes in the slash filmcast at gmail.com.
1: How slash, is that not, a, how is that not a pseudonym?
0: It's uh, well, I mean like, at least, My use, name is uh,
1: Truno limit.
0: at least use a name that sounds like it could be a real name. You know what I'm saying? You know, just, are like,
1: you saying lie to me? Is that what you're saying? Just lie to me.
0: Just lie to me. Let me pretend okay. that it's a real human connection I'm making.
1: Okay. I think, I think Mr. And Mrs. Limit, uh, tr- if I may, Truno, uh, is, uh, <laughs> is a very much a real person.
0: True, no limit writes into slash filmcast at gmail.com, uh, Hey, Slash this email is long overdue, but I've had a question for all you guys since I first heard you bemoaning the possible death of the movie theater experience. Uh, Actually, in my opinion, the death of the movie theater is inevitable as technology gets better and cheaper. Anyway, my question is, have any of you tried watching a movie using some sort of VR Google experience? Mm. I myself own the PSVR, and when I play a 2D movie, it's like I'm in a theater looking at an IMAX screen. That coupled with some sort of Atomos headset would probably be better than any go- movie going experience you've had.
1: Did you say Atomos?
0: I think so. Yeah. Atom Adam- like 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 uh, or at- Atmos. It- Atmos. Atmos. Sorry. <laughs>
1: it's okay. <laughs>
0: uh, before you, t- to be fair, Truno Limit misspelled Atmos in here, so that's why I he said he spelled it as Adams, and so I'm like, oh, Truno Limit means Atomos. <laughs> You're um, really throwing
1: Truno under the bus on this one, man.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I had to. I had to explain why I would make such an egregious mistake (laughs) Uh, anyway he says he or she continues before you say but the crowd engagement is part of the experience I cherish you would maybe add a zoom like thing to the VR movie going experience keep doing what you guys do sincerely true no limit all right so let's talk about watching a movie in VR Um, and I'll just say that I recently acquired an Oculus head uh, I'm sorry (laughs) 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 oculus quest headset i meant Uh to say oculus quest headset not oculus head (laughs) um it's really we're really all over the place today jeff Uh, yeah i hear Um, that um and uh i have really been enjoying using it and one thing i've done is uh try there's like a screening room app called big screen where -hmm. you can kind of congregate with friends and like watch uh movie trailers and tv shows in a virtual space together uh, and I, you know, I want to hear what your thoughts are cause I know they're going to be highly positive, but you know, <laughs> I, I have thoughts to share as well. So let's start with you. What are your thoughts on virtually watching movies?
1: No, it's not, it's not highly positive. It, it's still not there yet. Um, because unfortunately the way headsets are right now, they are pretty low resolution, uh, because there has to be two screens, one for each eye and we are not yet at 4K in each eye. When we get to 4K in each eye, I think it's going to be an extraordinary experience. Uh, I don't. I actually tried. You know, you can watch 3D Blu-rays in, um, uh, in PlayStation VR or in Oculus in 3D. Which I don't have a 3D television anymore, but I do have the 3D Blu-ray of Avatar and. And the hobbit but also avatar uh anyway so i've tried uh i've tried that and it actually is pretty cool the 3d effect i don't have you tried a 3d movie in vr
0: no i haven't done that yet
1: it is it, it's pretty cool it is i think better than watching a 3d movie in a 3d movie theater most, I, I agree i've most... watched
0: i've watched 3d trailers before yeah uh, which are pretty cool yeah
1: it's extraordinary yeah so i mean it's it really is like wearing the best 3d glasses ever, you know, no movie theater is going to have 3D glasses that are as refined and, and, you know, give you that kind of experience. It's pretty cool. So in that sense, yes, but we're just not there yet for high definition video in VR, even live events. I've watched a number of live events, which is cool in one sense, because of how it feels to be able to look around wherever you want at a basketball game or a WWE event or even, I you know, there's a, the uh, Saturday Night Live, I think 45th anniversary, or 40th anniversary, whatever it was, um, is pretty cool because you look around in the audience and it's all famous people and they don't know they're being filmed because they think they're just in the audience, but there's a 360 degree camera filming them and you can watch their reactions to things, which is pretty great. Um, Have you watched, have you seen the Cirque du Soleil video in VR yet? No. Oh, you have to try that. It's, it's, you will, I think, be impressed with what they did with Cirque du Soleil. It's basically all around you and it's made for VR. It's not like they set up a camera in a Cirque du Soleil tent or anything. It's performers doing this specifically choreographed for a VR headset and they're all around you. You can look all around and it it it's it's pretty intense. It's really cool. But I, I assume you, you are not very high on the idea of watching a film yet in VR.
0: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd be interested to check out that Cirque du Soleil thing. Do you, do you remember what it's called? Do I just search? You for can Cirque Google du Cirque du
1: Soleil VR. There's only yeah. one of them to my knowledge. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it'd be hard to find.
0: So uh, here are my thoughts on Oculus Quest. Uh, overall, I really like it. And and for those who don't know what Oculus Quest is, it is I would say probably the most accessible version of VR that exists today right now, like consumer accessible, right? In the sense that it's relatively cheap. Uh, You only need spend $400. I know that's still quite a lot, but like compared to buying a PC and then buying like a $600 headset, it's like one of the cheapest options there is. Um, and it still delivers like a a really pretty good overall VR experience. Um, You can play games on it. You can watch Netflix on it. Uh, You know, I I think it's a great product. So I have no regrets about my Oculus Quest purchase. Uh, One downside of the Oculus Quest, like sometimes when I'm playing Beat Saber, which is an amazing VR game, um, the headset will get what some people online describe as soggy. Because like that, the the headset is not supposed to uh, is not designed to be water resistant. So I had to acquire like a silicone sleeve for it, so it wouldn't be completely smelling it, uh, smelling and disgusting the entire time. Dave's saying
1: because he sweats a lot playing Beat Beat Saber, as one does. I, I do too. My wife, my wife once told me as I was playing Beat Saber that I was only allowed to play it if there was a towel down on the floor so
0: <laughs> i wish uh i wish i'd known that before i sweat like a gallon into the headset already you know um, <laughs> yeah but uh you know what's what's done is done uh so really enjoying the the overall quest experience and hey if you're interested in doing some uh, quest games feel free to hit me up uh i'm at dave chensky uh which is the ta- same are as talking Mike. to me or the audience uh you both you and the audience. I've actually been, I actually looked for you on there. I couldn't find you, Jeff. What? Uh, yeah. So there, bro. send me a, send me a friend request. Anyway. I will. Uh, okay.
1: Uh, oh, wh- wh- let me also, I don't know if you're changing topics away from, uh, VR, but the, uh, I would also no, no, recommend, I do no, no, I, don't, no, no, I, don't I wasn't,
0: I was about to dive into my thoughts on this. Oh, go movie ahead. Go question. ahead. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, so, go ahead. yes. So, uh, the question of whether to watch movies in VR, uh, in my opinion, okay, so the, one of the problems with Oculus Quest is it is relatively low resolution, right? Compared to, I think you have the Vive Pro, right? That's like the no, highest. No, I have,
1: I have the yeah. Index, which is. Yeah, the is Index, currently... which
0: is like literally the highest end one you can buy. Well, there's, uh, there's
1: from hi- a consumer. There's the, per- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the, what is it called? The Pmax or yeah. Pimax or something like that. There's like, is literally the the highest of the high end, but yeah, the index is, is high end for top,
0: top five, top five yes, in terms sure. of how like premium it is basically. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, I assume that is higher resolution than the Oculus quest. Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, the Oculus quest is basically like an Android phone, you know, strapped into uh, a headset basically. Right. So, so uh, what I'm saying is the most accessible version of VR A.K.A. the Oculus Quest or one of the most successful versions, uh, you're still getting not not even 4K. I would love, you know, 2K or whatever, you know, like something that's really close to 4K. But it's like it's it's really not even close to that, as far as I can tell. It's still very very pixelated. Uh, well, the
1: problem is the way the tech works. I mean, I'm sure people know this already, but is you're looking at lenses, which are then looking at screens, so they're literally amplifying. The screen—it's like you're you're seeing a mag, um, um, you know a um, magnified version of the screen. So and, and you're very close to it. So any any gap in the pixel density is magnified and seems more problematic to the eye.
0: Yeah, people call it a, the screen door effect, basically. Yeah. Right, you you look like you're looking at things through a screen door. Um, and so, on a, from a resolution perspective, it it fails the test of is this better than actually going to a movie theater? Right out, right there, okay? Yeah. The second problem is the Oculus Quest headset raise, weighs, I think, a little bit over a pound, one one uh, pound or so. Uh, let me see. I can look it up right now. Uh, the Oculus Quest, yeah, 20 ounces, so like one and a quarter pound. And uh, it is not like balanced on your head particularly well from my perspective. And uh, I have a rather large skull, And so it kind of sits awkwardly on top of my head and it pulls down on like the back of my neck because it's very front loaded and uh, it just gets, I cannot use it for more than 30 minutes uh, without getting really sore.
1: I wish we were living in times where you could come over to my house Yeah, because uh, the index is so much more comfortable, Mm. so much more comfortable. I don't really have a problem with the, Quest, I, I find it to be—it's certainly more comfortable than the original Rift was, uh, and way more comfortable than the original Vive was. But uh, the Index has has really a, is a quantum leap in in terms of comfort level. I find I, I played Half Life Alex in very long sessions uh, in the Index and never ever ever felt discomfort or. Um, And I would, I I mean, I played long sessions in my original Oculus Rift and would end up pulling it off and having, you know, red marks on my nose and stuff like that. It just doesn't happen anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, those are the two reasons. It's just like resolution and comfort, I think, prevent this from being a replacement for the movie theater experience. But the concept is amazing because you put on the mask and you put on the headset and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in like my own private, screening room right now and the screen is huge right yeah and so i'm like oh man if this was just higher resolution if it was a little more comfortable i could really see myself being like drawn into this illusion but it's not there yet at least at a relatively low price point
1: it will be it will be i mean in just a few years we will have those two things completely solved i hope Um, so i i I believe it yeah
0: all right, uh, but let me
1: just say one more thing that, yeah, I, that the thing yeah, I was yeah. going to bring up earlier is uh, another thing i would I would recommend if you haven't checked out already. there are a number of very, very high quality short films, uh, a lot of them animated short films in uh, in VR that you can download that are very inexpensive and highly uh, worth it, I think. a really impressive experience. There's one company in particular called um Baobab studios that has released, I think five or six uh, of them. There's one called the crow uh, or or crow, the legend, which features, um, the vocal stylings of John legend, uh, both as a voice of a character and as uh, his uh, original song, I think in it as well. Um, but the thing that's amazing about these shorts is that they were made for VR. So you're, I think, uh, I think you would be impressed with the use of VR. It's not literally just watching a screen that's giant in front of you. It it is a, an experience that takes place all around you. That's almost completely non-interactive, but transportive. You, you are inside a Pixar cartoon or something. And, um, your, your, your view is guided by certain things and you're asked to turn around or look up or look down or whatever it is. Uh, and, uh, I, I was blown away by a lot of these. They're, they're, they're quite good.
0: Alright. Uh, can you repeat that again, Jeff, for people who want to find it? Uh,
1: Crow the Legend is one. There's a the follow-up to that was a Bonfire. They did one called Invasion, which was, I think, a launch um, piece of software that came out with with the Oculus. Um, it, it's uh, they're all, I think, worthwhile. Very cool.
0: Alright. Uh, let's move on to another email. This one comes in from uh, Vyshal S, who writes in the email.com. Now, before I read this email, I want to set some context for everyone. Um, the Last of Us Part 2 has just been released for PlayStation 5. Uh, this is going to be one of the biggest video games of the year. Uh, and it, is one, it was one of my most hotly anticipated video games, probably of all time. I thought The Last of Us Part 1 was a masterpiece. Last, Last of Us Part 1 is a zombie apocalypse stealth shooter that came out seven years ago. And in my opinion, it's one of the best video games of all time. It sold 13 million copies. And Last of Us Part Two just came out this past Friday. Uh, and I have lots of stuff to say. I think, like, Jeff and I are probably going to put together something about this game. Um, I'm probably going to make a YouTube uh, video about this game. I have a lot to say about it. I have already be- I've already beat the 25-hour campaign in the time that... Uh, since it came out, which was last Friday. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I, I, I really just took it all in and I have a bunch to say about it. And you can listen to Jeff talk about it on DLC, the podcast.
1: I think maybe we'll have Dave on DLC at some and to talk about I this I think too, it's probably so. going to
0: happen, yeah. So we'll see yeah. what happens. But um, uh, anyway, so all that is context for this email. Um, uh, but just before I read this email, I also want to say we are not going to spoil Last of Us 2 in this podcast. So like, don't worry. We're not going to say anything about the plot. Uh, okay. This comes in from Vaishal from Berkeley, who writes in, uh, this has been a longstanding problem of mine, but has recently become extra relevant due to the release of The Last of Us Part Two. As you can probably relate, I am reasonably averse to spoilers in my day-to-day media consumption. I enjoy not knowing where the plot of the movie or TV show is going to take me. Therefore, for movies or TV shows, I care about not being spoiled. I try to consume the content as quickly as possible to avoid spoilers on the internet. This works great for movies as it's a two to three hour time investment. I could just drive to a local theater back when those were a thing and watch the movie. However, for video games that have 20 plus hours of gameplay, such as the last of us two, I feel left in a quandary. I would prefer to enjoy something as well crafted as last of us or God of war like a fine wine and savor the gameplay and spread my playtime out over several weeks. However, to avoid spoilers on the internet, I feel like I'm forced to play through the game as quickly as possible so I can get to the end to avoid being spoiled. Currently, Twitter feels like a minefield for Last of Us 2 spoilers. How do you all handle this? That email comes in from Vaishal from Berkeley. Um, and I, I really relate to this problem, Jeff Kanata. Yeah. Uh, because Last of Us 2, for those who don't know, is, is a uh, ha- has a very engrossing story, right? And that's it's one of the few games, in my opinion, that has... A truly cinematic, enthralling story uh, that would not feel out of place in a movie, and there's a reason why it's one of the few movie, uh, uh, video games, I should say, that is currently in development. As a, I think it's a HBO, HBO series, series right? yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. The first game, yeah.
0: Um, and so, uh, the, you know, in many games like Cubert, who gives a shit what the plot is? Um, but for last of us, great Spart-
1: timely reference there, David <laughs>
0: That's my last. That's my last video game knowledge before Last of Us Part Two is <laughs> Q-Bert.
1: Know. No wonder you were so blown away by it. It really <laughs> felt like a leap forward.
0: It's like it's like a massive leap forward. Last of Us Q- <laughs> Q- Q-Bert. Uh But anyway, the Last of Us Two is like you know it's it, one of one of the co-writers worked on Westworld season one. You know it's like it has amazing voice acting and motion capture. It, so truly uh immersive cinematic experience.
1: I'm told though you're not supposed to compare video games to movies. This is what I've been. This told. is
0: what this is what literally everyone on the internet is trying to tell you, Jeff. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, here's the problem, and also compounding this for Last of Us Part Two, is that I, I think a month ago a massive leak took place where like many cutscenes from the game were leaked onto the internet, t- revealing crucial plot details from the game. And so, uh, not only do you have to deal with the fact that a month ago there's a whole new cycle around Last of Us part two, but also people have finished the game now because the game is out already. and uh, you you need to deal with the fact that people finish the game and they want to talk about it. So unfortunately, Vaishal, for me personally, that was my solution was to just marathon this shit as quickly as possible. like I people were stunned at how quickly I completed this game. Because I just didn't want it to be I, I did not want to be spoiled. I played this game so much since its release that like my neck hurt. Because yeah. because of because I was like sitting in my chair in a way that was like slightly positioning my neck for discomfort. And so I uh I was like sore for like a day or two after I finished it because I, I just stayed in the same position for twelve hours in a day. Um and yeah, so that's my solution is is I uh you know, I I played the whole thing in one sitting. That's my solution for avoiding spoilers. Now, that arguably created misery of a different kind, <laughs> <laughs> of the muscular kind, yeah. you know, and other kind. And
1: maybe, do you feel like compressing the experience into that short period made it less enjoyable in any way?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some movies where um, if you marathon it, uh, and slash binge it in one setting, you enjoy it less than if you stretch it out. And there's some where you, if you, if you, you, you know, spread about TV, yeah, yeah, yeah. TV, TV shows, you said movies, sorry, yeah, yeah, TV shows, yeah, 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 sorry, I apologize. Um, so let me give a few examples of that. Like, I would say, you know, Westworld season one, if you marathon that, uh, I think you're gonna have a better time than if you watch it week to week. Um, but like, Law and Order you know maybe like if you marathon it you start to see like how it's extremely similar and the formula and you start to see the matrix right so that maybe you don't want to binge 30 episodes of that in a row uh last of us part two falls into the latter category in my opinion in the sense that taking it all in at once is not the ideal way to enjoy it uh because a lot of the game is very very similar to previous portions of the game and so you mm. really, really start to see, you know, the the puppeteer, the puppet master at work. Uh, so all that said, Jeff, I mean, Jeff, you ge- generally get games in advance, so you don't even need to You're the one that's doing the spoiling, if anyone, right?
1: I guess, yeah. I mean, in, in this case, that certainly was, it was nice. The Sony um, provided copies to reviewers very early because they knew that it was a long game and they wanted to give everyone plenty of time, which I really appreciate. It's all too rare for that to happen. Oftentimes you'll get a review copy like (laughs) two days before it comes out and they're like, go, go for it. Um, But I mean, I, I, I certainly am in a very privileged position that way. Um, But I'm sensitive to this idea. And I think, like you said, Last of Us is one of the few games that I wouldn't want spoiled. Like as, as spoiler averse as I am, everyone knows, listening to the show, I am. Video games tend not to be on that list of things that I get really worried about. I watch video game trailers and stuff because video games tend not to matter when it comes to narrative. It it, it doesn't ever really elevate to the point of the narrative was what I'm coming for. Not the case here. Not the case with any Naughty Dog game. Naughty Dog is creating cinematic games who tell you a story that is every bit as good as other mediums, um, which is a point I... I tried to make, but, um, <laughs> but I also feel like it's not that hard to avoid spoilers on the internet. I don't know. I, I guess I'm just not looking at places that a lot of people are looking at or doing things. That a lot of people are looking at do, to do, but I, I don't, I always take the onus on myself and I, I don't, when the leaks happened for last of us part two, I definitely didn't want to know them and I didn't. I, I didn't have a problem not seeing that stuff. So
0: yeah. here, here is, so I actually don't know that it's easy to avoid. So someone in the chat room, we're broadcasting this live, just like dropped the last of a spoiler right into the chat with no warning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and not cool. So it's like, okay, um, some, sometimes that can happen to you, you know? It's like a random freak accident. But I would say for me, one of the ways I avoid it is I don't follow people who would spoil things like that.
1: Right. You know, or
0: I mute people or I block people who would spoil things like that. And, and that is something that is, has been like, I've pruned down my list of people I follow over the years so that I don't follow anyone who would retweet that into my timeline. But that takes a lot of work, right? Uh, You know, that's not necessarily for everyone. But that is my solution to that is I also was really nervous about the leaks. But, you know, I follow people like Jeff Kanata and I know Jeff is not going to, like, spoil the leak for me, right? You know, you're not going to drop a spoiler for the leak unilaterally. And I follow people like Jeff who, who understand that or consider that. So I agree with you. It is possible to avoid stuff like that online. I wouldn't say it's easy. It, 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 yeah. it takes time and effort to it
1: avoid. does take time and effort it's precarious you know you can get you can get screwed by people who yeah. are not nice um yeah. and there's a lot of not nice people <laughs> it turns out
0: yeah i remember um when i was hosting casa king's podcast the game of thrones podcast with John Robins. like people used to drive by dm me spoilers because you know there's um like i haven't read the books and my co-host has and that's the whole premise of the show and people would DM me spoilers for Ga- for Game of Thrones uh, just mm. to, like, mess with me. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's it, you you have to work at it. You have to block people liberally who would do that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, saying this as someone who freaking marathoned the game in, like, f- the first 48 hours of its release, uh, you have to try not to take it that seriously.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you, know, I really you, have to, to,
0: you have to be okay with the fact that you might get spoiled because... Otherwise, you're just not going to enjoy life as much.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I relate to it in the sense of, of TV shows because there's just no universe where a new season of a show comes out and I'm among the first people to watch all of it. It's just not how my life is structured. I, I have kids. I have a wife. Nine times out of 10, if the thing I want to watch... Well, nine times out of 10, the thing I want to watch, my wife also wants to watch. So it requires us syncing up. And usually that means maybe an hour or two a night to watch something. So I'm not the guy who's going to sit there and watch, you know, 10 episodes in, in, in two days, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I've just kind of come to peace with that and tried to stay away from, you know, people who would mess that up for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all that said, obviously, I took it really seriously. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, "I'm no one is, I have waited this long to not be spoiled. No one is messing up this experience for me. And The other thing
1: I think of the, that, that I, is a whole other discussion that we don't really have time for, but I, I often think of, you know, seven years for this game to follow up its sequel, obviously, Naughty Dog not working on it that entire time, but probably a good portion of that time hundreds and hundreds of man hours it represents of work
0: yes person hours yep
1: <laughs> in- in- indeed um and and then you just like fucking shove it down your throat as fast as you can <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah
0: yeah I there's do something that.
1: i don't know there's something weird about that too where it's like well, i gotta be on to the next thing next week you know it's like People worked for years agonizing over tiny decisions and putting a, you know, placing an object in a scene that you're just like sprinting through. You know, there's, especially this game, there's so much attention to detail in the world. Every single place is just exquisitely rendered with the highest fidelity, thought through. It is communicating something in in every location. And people worked on this for many, many hours, worked in, in, in the creation of it, in the realization of it, in the audio, in the visual, every like costume, every aspect of this thing was just agonized over. And you're like, I gotta get it into me as fast as I can. And I move on to the next thing. It's just, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. And it works. That's the same for movies and TV shows too. It's like next week we'll be talking about something completely else. You know, it's very strange to me.
0: I think you're having what's called an existential crisis,
1: Jeff. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> I've been having a prolonged one for the last four years. <laughs> uh,
0: so anyway, those are our thoughts on, on consuming a game like The Last of Us 2 uh, extremely quickly. And overall, I'll just say uh, I, I didn't care for it, Jeff. <laughs> I, I know, we'll talk about, about it at game. length. I'd give it like a 6 out of 10 is what I would say. Um, yeah. but uh, So it wasn't like, with no redeemed qualities, but uh, not, not a huge fan of the game. Um, and I, I will be publishing content on YouTube and we'll probably be doing some podcasting with Jeff about it. So keep an eye out for that. Follow us on Twitter to make sure you don't miss that. All right, Jeff. Well, as as I predicted, we we did have plenty to talk about prior to <laughs> our review with, with Davindra and Wilson of Defy Blood. So uh, we have a, just a couple of what we've been watching. So why don't we toss these off real quick? Okay, let's just nail these real quick. Um, so... I had a chance to watch Baby Teeth, which is a, a movie that came out uh, as a premium release this week. Uh, and this is out right now. You can like rent it for $7. Um, I will read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, this, this movie is uh, written by Rita Kal- uh and directed by Shannon Murphy. The plot summary is, Mila, a seriously ill teenager, falls in love with a drug dealer, Moses, her parents' worst nightmare. Uh, this movie stars Eliza Scanlon uh Toby Wallace uh and also Ben Mendelssohn and SE Davis uh who are great talented Australian actors I thought this movie was pretty good uh Jeff but it falls into this category this subgenre you know how there's like all these sub these things that you would not think would become subgenres are are now subgenres of movies I'll give you an example uh groundhog day movies you know like movies yeah. where time resets itself If you asked me to say what you listed, all the genres in the world, you're like, or all the movies in the world, you're like, which one of these, you know, is going to inspire an entire genre of movie? You know, I wouldn't have said Groundhog Day or, you know, Live, Die, Repeat or something like that. Um, But uh, anyway, so you love
1: this because it allows you to do your, uh, your, Letterbox, uh, very specific subgenre <laughs> titling.
0: Yeah, uh, it's true. I would have no letterbox career without this kind of thing. Anyway, the subgenre that Baby Teeth falls into is uh, movies that are about uh, a, a girl or woman's relationship with a guy who is terrible, is terrible for her and also a drug user. Uh, and I watched another movie that fell into this category recently. It's called The Souvenir. Widely regarded as one of the best films of last year, and uh, I just uh, I, I definitely respect these movies, and I, I understand people really love them. I think this movie has like over ninety percent Rotten Tomatoes, and the craft is great, and the actors are great. Um, but I just it's just not my taste of movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not the movie I would choose to watch. Left up to my own devices, and that's completely fine. Um, but you know that's just that's just the way it is. I'll say that this move this one, Baby Teeth, is really well made. And again, uh, this has Ben Mendelsohn playing the least psychologically disturbed character I've seen him play. Uh, which is well
1: that's not saying much
0: it's not saying much and uh, he plays the father of a dying girl in this movie <laughs> so you know this is the least psychologically but he is awesome in this he is so good in this he's movie. always awesome uh eliza scanlon who plays the lead is is great as well and a revelation in my opinion but uh and but the the girl is dating like a jesse pinkman type character picture jesse pinkman but at the worst part of his drug addiction and without the ability to cook meth that's who she's dating, right? And so it's like
1: <laughs> it's Jesse Penguin without the income,
0: <laughs> without the income, right? Without the skill or talent or income. And uh, when I watch these movies, I just, I, I just get so infuriated at how shitty these guys are, you know. And I yeah. know that's part of the point. I know that the point is you're saying like, hey, what is it that would cause someone to be in this relationship or want this relationship with this extremely shitty guy? Um, I get that that's like part of the appeal of the movie like this, but for me that anger kind of overshadows any other feelings I have about the movie so yeah. Um, anyway uh, that said it's a really well done movie uh, pretty pretty well done movie prepare to be completely devastated if you watch this I was not ready to be completely destroyed in the way that I was when I watched this movie
1: um, I think that anytime you told me you were watching a movie entitled Baby Teeth
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm
1: not going to feel like it's going to be the feel-good hit of the summer. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm. Well, that's, that's really revealing your bias against baby teeth, Jeff.
1: <laughs> As someone who has both babies and teeth, there's nothing pleasant about a baby with teeth. Nothing pleasant about a baby with teeth. They mm-hmm. It causes them anguish coming in. They it causes bite the you. anguish coming out? Right? Yes, it's anguish all the way around. Baby yeah. teeth are bad.
0: Yeah, actually, you know, I never thought about it that way, Jeff, but now that you mention it, the warning signs were all there in the title. <laughs> all right, Jeff, what have you watched this week?
1: Oh, I just uh, wanted to mention a uh, another stand-up special that I enjoy. We talk a lot about stand-up specials here on the show. I think you and I both enjoy a, a great stand-up special and uh I am ashamed to say I had never heard of the stand-up before watching it. It was one of those uh Netflix presented to me as a hey, this is new and uh interesting and um you know, I still have the, the preview on, on Netflix, the little, uh, auto run preview thing, which I use almost exclusively for stand up specials. I love watching, getting like two jokes and going, I'm going to watch this. And that is what I did for Taylor Tomlinson's new special quarter life crisis. My wife and I both really, really enjoyed this. She is great. She's very, very funny. And, uh, and I highly recommend it. I can't believe she's so young. She's, um, very insightful and very funny, and I just, I just loved it. I thought it was really good. Taylor Tomlinson, Quarter Life Crisis.
0: Find it on Netflix right now. All right, we got to get to our review. Before we do that, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast. Thanks to Rex Chen and Dylan Foreman, and also we got this email and donation from Brianna, who writes in. First, I want to thank you for all the joy your work has brought me and my brother for many years now. we've We're always excited to listen to an episode after we've had a lively debate about a movie to see which one of us has a better opinion based on whatever Devendra says, obviously. <laughs> what? Let's just stop reading this email now.
1: Yeah, we literally have no reason to read this right now.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad is not here to hear this. Um anyway. In all seriousness, I deeply appreciate the unique perspectives and passion for movies you all bring to the show. I also wanted to reach out because my brother is turning 30 at the end of the month, and I was hoping you could help to make it a special day by sharing a short birthday message on your next episode. Here is the message. Happy 30th birthday, Julian. Thanks for being the world's greatest movie buddy. Love, your favorite sister.
1: Aw, Julian, happy 30th. Wow.
0: What a lovely sister you have who is willing to... Uh, make a donation to get you a birthday shout-out. That's awesome. And yeah. by the way, in ge- like we've gotten a few requests for shout-outs. And in general, I just say, um, if you want a shout-out, literally uh just donate any amount to the podcast yeah like,
1: give, this, us give us money no, give us money we'll shout out but
0: there's, there's no like minimum there's no like you need there's to also no dollars.
1: maximum that's no true. maximum
0: it's true it's true there's no minimum or maximum uh but of course you should never donate if it anyway anyway causes you any hardship or uh detracts from any other donations you want to make to other places that might be more worthy if you want to throw some cash our way though you can go to paypal.me slash filmcast that's paypal.me slash the word filmcast you can also uh, use the Slash Homecast tab on the Slash Film.com website. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Uh, and if you want to support us for free, just go to the iTunes podcast, the Apple podcast uh, page. Leave us a review, star rating. It's free. It takes a few seconds. It really helps us out.
1: It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Oh, my gosh. I love HelloFresh. I love HelloFresh. Let me tell you, I am... A dad, just had Father's Day recently. One of the things that I really take pride in as a dad is that I am able to cook a meal for my family. It's not something I thought I would be the guy to do, but now I can because of HelloFresh, because of America's number one meal kit. What does it mean to be America's number one meal kit? Well, what's a meal kit? A meal kit is all the ingredients... All the recipes you need to have delicious, healthy, high-quality meals for yourself, for your family, delivered right to your door in handy-dandy, easy-peasy packaging. What I love about HelloFresh is that when the box arrives at my door, I open it up. It's got little pre-portioned paper bags with each meal that I have selected inside. It has exactly the amount of the ingredients that I need to make it. I don't have to worry about going to the grocery store. I don't have to worry about getting more of something than I need and then see it just waste away in the fridge because I only needed it for one meal and I could only buy enough for 10 meals. It's pre-portioned with HelloFresh, which means there's less prep for me and less food waste. That's sustainability That's one of the things I love most. It saves time, and it saves me time because the meals cook quickly, sometimes even 30 minutes or less, sometimes 20 minutes for their quick recipe options. It's pretty great, plus it's flexible. I can change up my delivery days or my food preferences, or I can even skip a week whenever I need to. It, it's no pressure, and it gives a lot of variety into my family's menu. I'm not eating the same things over and over and over. Plus, you can feel good because HelloFresh is committed to giving back. HelloFresh donated over 2.5 million meals to charity last year in 2019, and this year they're stepping up even farther, doing more food donations amid the coronavirus crisis It is something that has genuinely improved my life. So I urge you to go to HelloFresh.com slash slash FilmCast60 and use code slash Film60 to get $60 off your first three weeks, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. That's HelloFresh.com slash Film60 and promo code slash film 60. slashfilm l m six zero to get $60 off. Hellofresh.com slash slash film 60.
0: All right, let's get to our review of The Five Bloods featuring Devinder Hardwar and Wilson Morales.
2: Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused... And to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the first infantry divisions.
3: Be
1: safe. Gentlemen, welcome back to Vietnam. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived.
0: That was from the trailer for The Five Bloods, the newest film by Spike Lee. It's available right now on Netflix. Uh I'm gonna read the plot summary from IMDB. Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Joining us today for our review of The Five Bloods, Wilson Morales is the editor of BlackFilm.com, and it can also be heard on Tim Gordon's Keeping It Real radio show. Wilson Morales, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Wilson?
3: Good, good. Hold up like everybody else, homebound, but it's good to be home and as opposed to being outside. Oh, yes.
0: Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, well, thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Wilson, to talk about this movie, The Five Bloods, uh, and uh, why don't we start with you, Wilson? What are your overall thoughts on this film?
3: Initially going into it, you know, I always say watching a Spike Lee film, uh, you, you're never going to get, even though he won the Oscar last year for Black Klansman, we're not seeing a, a reinvention of Spike Lee, you know? Uh, <laughs> so just just going there. Uh, you're gonna get a Spike isms if you've seen enough of his movies. I always say there's always being that there were four writers on this screenplay. I said to myself, well, it wasn't. It's not an original story. Some I'm sure there was a, a simple narrative. Spike came on and added his flavor to it. That being said, you know uh, when the movie starts out, you get your Spikey flavor in there in terms of talking about you know you got the Marvin Gaye music, you've got the history within. Wax in in the war in Vietnam. And then you you get right into it in terms of these four individuals uh, going back to to find their fallen comrade while searching for a a lost treasure. And uh, when you see, this is nothing new that we've seen before. We've seen other uh, movies like this, where individuals get together, you know, you, you get a sense of who's who. And it's a matter of can they trust each other throughout the whole movie before something goes AWOL? And which is what we get into this movie um, because of its length, two hours and 35 minutes. At some point, you know, you start losing track of where the movie's headed, but nevertheless, I think, you know, uh, the, 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 the performance played by the characters shine throughout the film And, you know, it can offset any of the mistakes you may see in there, you know, specifically Delroy Lindo, uh, followed by Jonathan Majors and even Clark Peters. Uh, I think this is the first film that Spike has had where he's had four lead actors over the age of 50, you know, including Norm Lewis carry this movie all the way. And, uh, there's a lot that you can take off from this film, um, you know, he certainly has action in there without giving too much spoilers away. There's a lot in there, but there's a lot that he says about war and it's about friendship and it's about uh, fatherhood between a father and son. And there's a lot of elements in this movie that work in some areas. Uh, technically speaking, technically speaking, you know, you can argue against some things that he did not shoot as a filmmaker, um, that you would have thought he would have had, considering he's being funded by Netflix. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there, especially when you're getting it for free on Netflix. You're not going to quibble with a lot of different things. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I think oh, you're
0: well, referring to the fact that, like, the, the film, even though I think it looks great, is still not as big budget of a movie as, say, The Irishman, right? Right. Or something right.
3: like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the video.
0: And there's yeah. been a lot of talk about how um, because he didn't have that budget, uh, he couldn't de-age the characters for flashbacks, right? <laughs> and so yeah. what...
1: Did he, did, has did, he said he wanted to do that? I felt like that was a choice. Uh,
0: yeah, I think he, they he they did. turned a disadvantage. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Wilson.
3: I actually spoke to Spike Lee last week as part of a press conference. And, you know, it was a matter of, like, when he, when he asked that question, it's like, why not bring in... Younger actors to play these roles and de-age them. He said uh he didn't have the budget for it. Netflix wouldn't want to do it. Um, and, You know, I think it cost Scorsese what a hundred million just to do do that process. You know, and they wasn't they weren't going to do it. Spike Lee. Yeah, it um, also
2: took forever
3: for Scorsese too, right? Yeah, so so that would have been too much to do, Um and he also didn't want. And if he had brought in younger actors to take Spotlight away from the four leads that he had, you know, uh, so he thought, you know, he had these guys and they were going to roll with it no matter what. Um, And you can make that, you know, towards the end, you know, um, uh, I won't say much in there because I don't want to make it a spoiler. (laughs) But, yeah, so, you know, so that's a process that, you know, that could have been worked out. But nevertheless, it's not too big of a deal. Yeah, I, I think
0: he took it, what what the discourse I've seen online is that he took a disadvantage mm-hmm. and made it into an advantage, which is that uh, it's actually a really interesting choice to not have them DH at all, to not hire younger actors, right? Because you get the feeling that for these characters, they're still living uh, what mm-hmm. happened to them decades ago. And, and
2: by, by the way, yeah. that is pretty much his entire career, isn't it? Just turning every disadvantage into something that's super. Like, he, this guy has never had a $100 million movie, right? Like I feel like that's the constant story we keep hearing. Every movie for Spike Lee is like a fight, even a big epic like Malcolm X, uh, to, to produce and to get it made. He's always, you know, scrapping around for funding. So, yeah, yeah, this is not unusual, but it's a shame when you see, yeah, the Irishman come in with next-gen computer graphics to, you know, make these older actors younger, and this movie is like, eh, whatever, let's just do it
3: do we know if this movie cost a hundred million or probably not no no no
2: no 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 yeah it's it's i mean it's certainly cheaper to shoot um in Asia, it was around
0: 35 to 45 million dollars is what the production budget of the five bloods is um but it it is amongst lee's most expensive movies so um you
3: guys uh see who the initial cast was for the movie
0: yeah, I heard it was like Denzel, right? Was supposed to be one of the leads.
3: <laughs> it was Giancarlo right? Esposito, Sam Jackson, Denzel Washington, and John uh, John David Washington.
2: Oh man, that that would have been something. That would, but I, I, I still
0: like this. the whole. You know, it would have been a whole <laughs> different movie. Yeah. Is there
1: an explanation as to why that didn't happen?
3: Timing, you know. Um, obviously, you know when you have a core cast like that, and Giancarlo was, you know, he's the one that put out the names he said timing is everything you know and uh carlo was filming godfather of harlem and you know sam sam is always making any you know a movie and john david washington it was i think filming Tenet. you know so like they couldn't get it together uh to start shooting this
0: uh let me ask you one last question wilson before i throw it to some of my other co-hosts which is you're you're talking about like this isn't too much of a departure from Spike Lee isms. I actually think in terms of Spike Lee isms, it's relatively restrained. I mean, there are some shots and elements from other Spike Lee films that I definitely recognize here, you know, um, like uh, characters standing on a platform that's attached to the camera as it moves towards you, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the use, the increasingly frequent use in his movies of like, real footage from the actual world that we live in right archival footage um this was very obvious in black klansman as well uh but uh, a i thought it was relatively restrained i'm curious what you think about that but b uh is it it sounds like the way you're describing it is it feels a little bit played out
3: to you am i hearing that right or what are your thoughts No, i think you know everything is timing so like it worked with black klansman uh and you never know where, you know, because of what's happening in life, how this movie will play out. And considering what's happening now, uh, it's still relevant now, you know, when he when he throws it in there. You know, if had he done this five years ago, it would have seemed more like a gimmick. But when you see what's happening in today's world, it's timely. You know, so everything happens for a reason. So when he shot Black Klansman and he had that scene of what happened in Virginia at the end... You know, who knew a year later that it would still become timely, you know? Yeah. And, and so here, you know, when he throws in uh, and talks about, you know, how blacks have been treated, look what, look what's happening now. You just never know how, how these things played out. And especially being it, it's being shown now at this time period where he gets more eyes on it, whereas in, whereas in normal situation, we're in June. You probably would have had the NBA championships uh, going on. You would have had a bigger movie in theaters, you know. Uh, and, you know, it's the summertime. So you probably wouldn't have had that many eyes on it, especially when people hear two and a half hours, you know. But because we have none, of, we have no sports, we have no movies in theaters, and it's the only thing that, you know, Spike's always going to get you interested to see his movies. And before, when you say two and a half hours is too much, We got plenty of time to watch it at home now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, All right. uh, So overall, it sounds like you're you're a fan of this movie, yeah?
3: Yeah, I am. I I think, you know, you can always sit back and watch it. And I think the characters itself, you know, stand out. You know, Daryl Lindo, uh, Clark Peters, you know, we've seen them mostly play uh, character actors in other projects. You know, Daryl actually was the lead – this is his fourth time in a Spike Lee film, uh, second time as a lead. He was the lead in Crooklyn. And then uh, for Isaiah uh, Whitlock Jr., this is his sixth film with Spike Lee. You know, And uh, I'm trying to think who else is... Uh, Jonathan Majors is the newcomer. Chadwick Boseman is the newcomer. This Norm Lewis had appeared in She's Gotta Have It, one of Spike Lee's uh, Netflix projects. Uh, in there, and then Clark Peters was the lead in the Sweet Blood of Jesus. So he's had uh, you know, so when he's had actors he's worked with before, you know, you don't have to worry about what they're gonna give because we've seen them perform, and I think they all brought in their A game, uh, in in terms of showing on you know on the screen, you know, the chemistry between them as former comrades. Divinger your hardware. Tell us what you thought of Defy Bloods.
2: Oh, I absolutely loved it. And I feel like partially a matter of timing, too, because I was just working my way through Malcolm X right before this. And then to start this movie and just see Delroy Lindo in it again, uh, looking like nothing has changed since the early 90s. Like, this guy, this guy is so good. And for me, uh, I've been talking about The Good Fight, the CBS show, for a long time he's a star of that show and he's kicking ass and like, he's an actor I've loved forever. And I always love seeing him in things. And this movie feels like, God damn, give this man an Oscar. Like he is doing some incredible work here and his character. I love his character. I love everything about this movie, but I specifically love what Del Lindo is doing and how he's working out his own form of PTSD, um, how that's turned him into basically a Trump voter and how that's kind of alienated him from everybody around him. I love all that. Um, and yeah, it's a very timely, um, you know, piece on how America treats black people, for sure. And also how America goes to war and the, you know, the power of war. It's funny for me to see, um, you know, there's the the scene of the, the Viet Cong radio broadcaster just addressing the black soldier saying, what, what are you doing? we're not in this fight you know we're not really fighting each other um and watchmen did the same exact thing with the nazis uh which was actual you know broadcast too so that's kind of propaganda used both ways um but to see that kind of we, we should just be again. clear what
0: we should just be clear what are yeah. saying the hbo original series watchmen yes, yes. uh the damon lindelof one uh did, had a scene in which nazis dropped flyers on black soldiers yep. saying like hey we will treat you know uh you better than your, we're own not your enemy yeah. yeah we're not your enemy you know like your country is your enemy basically mm-hmm. yeah so that's uh it's a it's a very kind of a parallel to what happens in this movie the five bloods in which mm-hmm. uh you hear vietnamese broadcasts that uh explain uh why america is bad that are directly addressing black soldiers in this yeah
2: and, and to have all this land to in the middle of the black Lives matter protests and just everything happening right now this just really feels like the movie of the moment I, I loved it even the excesses of it which i'm sure we'll talk about in spoilers but it is it's fantastic i love seeing spike lee like back on a roll because i think for a while um not sure if you guys saw the sweet blood of jesus but, uh, man, that mo- I kind of hate that movie. Um, but he's been really working hard to like crowdfund a lot of movies. So there was that. Uh, there was Red Hook Summer. There was Chirac, which uh, Chirac's all right. And then Old Boy, which I think we even reviewed. Man, that movie. That movie still exists. It's it's hard it to even ru- fathom th- that. That was rough. That was r- I that did not was like that. That was super rough. So he's had a kind of a rough run and... Now with Black Klansmen and now this, I am very happy to see like him back in a you know up and running in a good way.
0: All right, uh, Jeff Kanata, what are your thoughts on the Five Bloods?
1: Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about the Five Bloods are best summed up in the form of a limerick.
0: You know, maybe we should explain to Wilson what is <laughs> going do. on with because because uh, we don't want <laughs> we we don't want people to think yeah. we're trivializing uh the movie no. in fact in when way. i say
1: best summed up probably not actually probably <laughs> l- worst summed up wow. but i find myself with my arms tied tied by none other than our own dave bartholomew chen who has mandated nay threatened <laughs> that every episode of the slash film cast must have a limerick. And so I find myself with no choice to hold together with rubber bands and bubble gum, this rickety podcast by sheer will, by sheer rhyming will. <laughs> Does that explain it? I think that explains it. I think that
0: explains it. All right. I just hit us see with, with how you your...
2: rhyme to five bloods. Yeah. Hit
0: us with your limerick yeah. for the five bloods, Jeff.
1: Uh, this is interesting. Cause it's kind of what the said too. uh, not proud of this one. <laughs> just, so, just so you know.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm nervous. Well, now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the America we see out our window. Still fighting wars it shouldn't be in, though this film's commentary is a little bit buried. I'd still give the Oscar to Lindo.
2: Oh, nice. yeah. Excellent. We are, we are simpatico right now. It's perfect. Excellent. Excellent. Job. It is
1: it, it is an Oscar worthy performance. He's extraordinary. I also love Clark Peters. So he good. is yeah. he is a. I can watch that dude read the phone book,
2: which we always did. loved. We him. did like, do that in the wire. We just watched him read the phone book for a while.
1: <laughs> it's kind of true. Um, he's great. Okay, the performances are great. I think this movie operates on two levels. One is uh, a historical lesson that connects dots for the viewer and really demonstrates some things that are too often overlooked or ignored or um, not talked about when the history of this time period is discussed. And that part of the movie, that dot connection, that informational um Re- relationship between events and how blacks were treated in the in the Vietnam War and th- all of that historical stuff where we see these these often harrowing image real life images flash up on the screen that stuff to me was my favorite part of the movie it really made me think about Vietnam and America as you guys said in this moment now uh, of history we are living through especially in a new way and it it forced me to really consider angles that i don't think any other vietnam movie has has done and for that i think it is extraordinary the second level upon which this movie works is sort of this thriller uh it's it's really my one of my favorite genres is what i call the best laid plans movies
2: the war heist movie sure
1: well, no, no, not not Warheisman specifically, yeah. but but best laid plans. Where it's yes. like, yes. here's the plan, and then watch as things just slowly spiral out of control. I love movies like that. Uh, a simple plan is like a perfect exemplar of that. Um, where you know you you've got people who try to do the right thing. Not, not to pun a uh, Spike Lee movie, <laughs> but try to, try to uh, you know, d- 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 be smart in a situation and it, it, things just keep getting worse. I love movies like that. I find them so fun in s- such a juicy way. Uh, Judgment Night, honestly, it, you know, that we reviewed recently is kind of like that. Where it's like, hey, let's just get the, off this exit and then things can go bad. Best laid plans movies, okay? For a best laid plan movie to work, in my opinion, for me, I have to really, I want to really believe that everybody is doing the smartest thing they can do in that situation. And in this movie, I understand we're dealing with people who are um, who are dealing with very heavy emotions and, and PTSD and things that have stuck with them for, for a long time. But too often, I just thought, if we could all just take a second everything could be solved. You know, like if we could all just slow down for a moment here, this, none of this needs to be happening. And I get that that's kind of the point, but it also made for me a rather frustrating narrative experience. Like I said, I enjoyed the movie on a level of sort of instructional and, uh, self-reflection and, um, sort of literally learning facts and learning about a subset of the war that I unfortunately had ignored, right? And I think many of us had, certainly war movies had. But man, I just wish the sort of fundamental human drama layer of it worked better for me. Even at two and a half hours, there are major plot threads that felt really rushed, that felt really uh, abbreviated Mm -hmm. and kind of shoehorned in. Uh, There are moments, I mean, there's a moment that really stuck out to me where, uh, you know, they're, they're in Vietnam, they're on this boat and some, something happens and you hear off screen, somebody go, he's got PTSD. And then somebody else goes, we all have PTSD. And I felt like a, you know, with a Hollywood movie, anytime you hear a, an important line and you don't see the person say it, 99% chance it's ADR, right? So they felt the need... ADR, for those who don't
0: know, right, being like they added it in after they shot mm-hmm. it, basically.
1: Right. They felt the need to add that line in for clarity. It was an additional dialogue recording. It was a an, an additional line that was recorded later. And it just felt like I, we're all on the same page. I understand Spike Lee's, I'm sure desire it seems to me a, an honest desire to not allow anything in this movie to be missed or 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 subtle you know it, it needs to be very clear what he's saying he's 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 beating us over the head in a good way right he needs he has this is advocacy as as filmmaking right he is saying something he has a very strong opinion strong strong position and he's presenting that position and that's what i like about the movie but there are certain things narratively for the characters That just felt like you can give us a little credit and it, it it doesn't need to, things could have been, I think expressed more elegantly. There's a lot of dialogue that feels very on the nose and it, it is, it didn't feel like the film itself as a narrative device, as a story was as strong as it could have been from my perspective.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'll, I'll share some quick thoughts and then we can move into spoilers. Um, but I uh, uh, I think a lot of that's fair, Jeff. I'll say I really enjoyed the movie because, as you said, it's tackling things, uh, topics, and tap- tackling topics in a way that I just haven't seen before in recent memory, right? I mean, telling the story of African Americans who fought in the Vietnam War, uh, the consequences that had for them, right? Like, we I, I, I can't recall ever having seen that story told on screen before. Right. Uh, maybe it has been and I just have uh, been ignorant to it and that's very possible but like I I don't know that any movie that has been this widely seen has really dove into that story Uh, and not only that but uh, but also trying to uh, explain uh, in subtle and also non-subtle ways the consequences that the war had in Vietnam one of the characters refers to it as the American war and uh, that's also really interesting as well and you have these two kind of non-white groups uh, who uh, for reasons we can get into in spoilers uh, have like different grievances with the American government. Right. And I think that's all just really fascinating because we, we just don't see that side of the story told very much. I think uh, the biggest flaw for the movie uh, for me for this movie is uh, it, it is just extremely ambitious. And I think that you like, you're right. Yeah. Even at two and a half hours, um, it, I don't know that it quite nails everything it's trying to do. Right? It's sure. trying to be a commentary on uh, American imperialism in foreign countries like Vietnam. It's trying to be a commentary on how the United States subjugates uh, people of color, black Americans, uh, and you know uses their labor uh, in very brutal fashion, uh, as we see in the events of this movie. It tries to be about PTSD. It tries to be about the uh, fate of people who uh, are are left behind uh, in Vietnam uh, when, uh, like, soldiers go over there and have children. Like, what happens to those children uh, who are kind of like trapped between worlds of Vietnam and and the United States? Uh, it, It tries to be about like what how Vietnam has dealt with it. There is a an apocalypse now bar that's a real life place in the movie. Uh, that's that's depicted in the movie, I should say.
1: I mean, the apocalypse and, now references are there's many, constant. many of them. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's, just, it's just fascinating to consider the fact that Vietnam has an apocalypse now, bar. yeah. And that you know, scene like, is just
2: yeah. fantastic, like it is working on so many levels, too. Of these vets dancing to this thing while uh, you know, young Vietnamese people are jamming out to it, and it's it's pop culture referencing itself in such an interesting way, I think,
1: yeah. dude. That scene at the beginning where it's that tracking shot following the four yep. guys yep. as they danced through the thing. I was like, I am going to love this movie. I, the, this is so, I love these guys already. I love how this is. Sh- I just was like, I'm so in. And it just felt like, ah, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't, yeah.
0: Yeah. So the point I was making is and on top of that, it tries to be this kind of simple plan-esque thriller, right? Where it also
1: tries to be about fatherhood. Right, fatherhood in, in a very
0: real yeah. way. There's a big like father-son relationship. There's uh tangential characters of people who are like struggling with their own privilege uh and doing things to atone for their sins. You know, so there's all this stuff going on in this movie and it tries to be this kind of thriller as well, like things go wrong thriller. On top of all that, and I just don't know that it really aced every single one of those things that I just listed, which is not to say that it's a bad movie. I actually really enjoyed it. I would re- right. strongly recommend it. And I think yeah, Delroy Lindo is a force of nature in this movie. Um, I do think, like uh, everyone's been saying, just hand him the Oscar, get it over with. I just would have no it. problem with that. I think he's awesome in this movie. Movie, But um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that is you know very long, kind of shaggy, and it's just super, super ambitious. And it doesn't quite nail everything that it's going for. It doesn't quite ace every single one of those things. Um, And I think that's just understandable given that it's trying to do so much.
1: Um, Another thing I'll underscore from what you said, Dave, that you kind of brought up that none of the rest of us had yet is how much I enjoyed the photography of Vietnam. Seeing that location as a character is very compelling it's gorgeous. There, the end credits are a series of just sort of still locked off camera shots of different locations that you've been through through the movie. And the, I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's a gorgeous place and it's beautifully shot. Um, so I loved that. Like you said, the the, the cafe at the, or the whatever it is, the dance hall slash bar at the beginning. But there are a number of places. There's sort of a place they get through halfway halfway in that's this like nightclub exterior like I want to go to these places. It was, it's a, it's a really cool effect of having the scenery itself be a character.
0: Uh, I'll say one last thing about that. Then I want to ask Wilson uh, any closing thoughts before we go to spoilers. But about the about the look of the movie, very interesting that the movie was shot in three different aspect ratios. Um, mm-hmm. There is, I fi- let me, I, I might not nail every single one of these, but there's basically like uh, the sixteen millimeter. I think it's basically like square format or four by three format. Um, that is used for all the flashbacks. Yeah, like there's old kind news real mo- format.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: there's kind of like modern day, um, I think it's uh, 16 by nine, right? Format for uh, modern, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, uh, it, it goes to 16 by nine and basically the image fills your entire widescreen for the modern, day, for the uh, Vietnam sections, basically like the modern day Vietnam sections to increase the immersion and then things that take place like outside of that context are like anamorphic. So there's like black bars at the top and bottom of the screen. Um, so the different aspect ratios to kind of uh, give you a different flavor of each one of the time periods that this movie is in. That's um, a pretty interesting, pretty interesting way to do it. Uh, and I, I appreciated the effect. Uh, Wilson, before we get to uh, spoilers for Defy Bloods, any, uh, any closing thoughts, any any reaction to anything we've said about Defy Bloods so far?
3: Yeah. The thing that struck me and the, the key word is ambitious, you know, as much as, I, you know, like I said, I like the film, but I, I also felt like, you know, when I say spike it's like the simple narrative is you have four individuals who are looking to go back and find a goal, but they use the the roost of their fallen comrade as a way to get back to Vietnam. I think that was a simple narrative. And, you know, it, did, I don't know if it was originally black, you know, soldiers, but I think when you add Spike in there, he throws in black soldiers. But I think when you have the length of time, he threw a lot of themes in there, like the PF, You know, the, the, the post PTSD. Uh, if I'm saying it right, <laughs> uh, you have the father-son relationships. There are a lot of different angles on there, um, and the question is, is there enough time spent on these themes for you to walk away satisfied, as opposed to just throwing it in, in there, you know? Um, so that's what I mean by ambitious because he wanted to throw every I'm not saying he's throwing everything in the kitchen in there, but he's for sort of – for the most part he's throwing a lot of things in there that doesn't <laughs> always get solved. No, you know, not to mention not to mention he has like
0: f- he has five characters yes. uh, that you're trying to like develop each of these characters and care about each of these characters. And uh, you know, that's a lot harder than if you have like one or two of them, right? And so that's just it's just super ambitious from that perspective as well.
3: Yeah, you know, and and then obviously there's the, the Chadwick character. Um, so some things you kind of know going in or, you know, midway, you, you figure out what's going to go. Um, and then you have the secondary characters played by, uh, uh, the white folks, <laughs> I'm forgetting <laughs> <laughs> to play, put it more simple, simpler by the white folks. Like, okay, what is their role in all of this? Like, what, why are they there? You know, how did they get there? Like, you know, like what's going on here? You know, like, all I need is the five, is the five guys. I don't need a rest. You know, so like like, <laughs> there's a point, there's a portion in there. You're like, why are we focusing on these people?
2: <laughs> you yeah. know,
3: um, yeah, I hear and, you. You know, and, and it kept going on and on, and it's like okay. Sometimes I always wonder, like, Spike Lee can direct, and it's a question of whether or not he has a producer <laughs> that he has to adhere to that can rein him in, because sometimes he can get he can go overboard, you know. And I think when he had his earlier films like The Sweet Blood of Jesus, and uh, and uh his other films that they are definitely definitely not favorites. I don't think he had anybody telling him what to do,
2: you yeah. know. Like when he here, was crowdfunding and funding himself in many ways, like yeah, it was completely off the rails in in many ways.
3: Yeah, yeah. So when you have Netflix saying, "Okay, Spike, where are you with this movie?" You know, I think with Black <laughs> Clansman, you know, he had Jordan Peele, you know, uh, you know, he had you know he had a team behind him. Say, so, okay, we can tighten this up a bit. You know, here he was able to do it, and he's on a roll right now. You know, there's solid reviews up there. You know. Uh, people keep talking about Del Orlando Oscar. You know, I think all four of these guys are leads, you know, none of them are supporting, they're all, you know, leads. So it's a question not, it's a question whether or not, if you put them all as leads, like they did, um, uh, uh, the Irishman in some areas, you know, do they cancel each other out? You know, and mm-hmm. because th- we now know the Oscars are now to next year, April, you know, is there, is there, you know, did they peter out too soon or, Will this come back? I think now that we have 10 nominees for Best Picture, unless there's another black film that comes out, this will probably be up there just for optics purposes.
0: All right. Well, why don't we dive into spoilers for this movie? I think there's a lot more to discuss. So let's get to spoilers for The Five Bloods starting right now.
3: Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming.
0: You're not really looking. I have to. Puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out.
3: Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to
2: tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled.
0: Uh, all right. So I'll just say I think, you know, I thought Delroy Lindo was really, really good uh, Up up until... Uh, the part where he delivers—I think it's like a ten-minute monologue—while he's hiking <laughs> through the jungle, and that's when it was basically god-level for me. So I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, <laughs> so that was one, amazing. One take, going at yeah. it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: man, Incredible. like
1: hacking away <laughs> at a, you know, trying to get through, and then attacked by a snake, which clearly is a real snake. Uh, that's not CG snake. You know what I'm saying?
0: uh are you saying you know for a fact or are you just i sure,
1: I if that's a cg snake that's the best cg snake i've ever seen because <laughs> uh, uh, he reacted to it in a very very real way. i mean maybe it was a rubber snake that they CGified. i don't know i thought it, was, it looked real to me
0: yeah yeah uh just uh really impressive i think that uh you know uh, we all kind of saw it coming a little bit is my guess i like could we all predict that he was in some way responsible for chadwick boseman character's death oh yeah
3: uh, well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that was Maybe like you don't
1: have that kind of reaction <laughs> if you don't. Um definitely. <laughs> I, I was gonna say that uh I, I don't know. I sort of admire the let's keep the older guys <laughs> in the in, in those flashbacks. Who are we uh, fooling? Yeah. Like the physicality, I don't have a problem with. Like the, I can suspend my disbelief for the physicality. The thing that actually was the hardest for me to deal with, and, and I can't decide if I Admire it, or if it's problematic, is the you know sixty year old dudes idolizing the twenty year old dude? Mm-hmm. To me, that was the hardest part of it is is seeing them treat put this guy on a pedestal. And I get it, like their young selves did, and and he never got to age into sixty, so we shouldn't see a sixty year old version of him. It's just hard watching a bunch of sixty five year old guys standing around looking up to and idolizing and worshiping this supreme 20-year-old guy. guess right. in
0: general, 65-year-olds don't give a shit about 20-year-olds.
1: Right? <laughs> nor like, should they. Nor yeah. should they.
0: <laughs> the uh, 20-year-olds don't have a lot of wisdom uh, right, that, they, right. that they lack. Uh, so, yeah, I, I understand. that. You're right. That did create a little bit of cognitive dissonance for me as well. Yeah. Um,
3: I found it interesting that, like, you know, towards the end, they show a photo of these guys – you know, with Chadwick and they're all wearing wigs, you know, I don't know if you guys know well, that,
1: that is man. the DH. That's the you one DH, the DH shot. Yeah. yeah
3: one DH shot. Like, well, if you had to wear like wigs and all during that photograph, why couldn't you do it during the, the, the action scenes? You know, <laughs> like, well, just wearing a hat is not doing a trick. <laughs> you know, I, I, I admit, they're the photo in a way, but you couldn't do it. You know, I, I, I didn't understand that logic.
0: Well I think it was it's easy to dh for one image, but uh to dh for entire sequences probably would have cost more money is my sense um
1: but I also don't fund i mean there's a lot of i have a lot of sort of logic problems with the movie that might be just tiresome to to step through so we don't have to if you don't want to but i I do kind of want to i don't know i like the first the moment of finding the gun in the bag yeah, the movie wants us to feel like it's this big moment but i also feel like it's perfectly legitimate for yeah. a dude to bring a gun we, on that you going
0: trip. out there without a gun yeah, yeah well, well, I mean, the, the thing for me is why would they give the gun to delroy lindo yes who's clearly right. the most unbalanced person it on makes the
1: no sense it makes no sense and then when the shit starts hitting the fan and we're like we're gonna kill we're, like we're all on board to just kill this the first thing he says is like they know about the gold and it's like they didn't until you said that you know, you know? <laughs> it's uh it's that whole sequence to me just felt like i, I love the upping of the stakes and the explosions from the mines the shot were shocking and i thought powerful uh especially seeing that guy like still alive uh uh, and, and half of a person uh, lying on the ground uh, dying. I, th- that shook me. Um, but I also felt like at, at a certain point, a- everyone except Delroy should be trying to deescalate this process. And they all just sort of go along with it, you know?
3: Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say, what I found kind of, we don't know. Does anyone know what time period this is? Because you have Clark Peters' character. And –
1: it says today at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah.
3: So the woman that he had a child with, you know, you would think that, it, okay, these guys have been waiting 40 years to go back. So <laughs> that child should be in her 40s. She <laughs> yeah. somewhere between 20 and 30, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and yeah.
3: obviously the woman wanted her uh, to meet her father because she could have just sent the girl away somewhere along. But she's like, no, she's home to introduce her. And it's sort of like, okay, so you finally speak to Clark Peter's character after 40 years, and she happens to know who the right connect is, you know. so, yeah. the, so it's and sort of everybody's
1: like, fine with it.
3: You know, everybody's sort fine. Of like, okay, so, how did, so they did not talk to each other for a long time, or and if so, she couldn't tell him over the phone, you know. To, she just had to wait, now let me wait till he's here and not tell him. <laughs> the
0: and yeah. while we're talking about logic problems, guys, I mean – the romance between Jonathan Majors and Melanie Thierry, uh, or David and Hetty in the movie, um, I, I didn't really buy. It. I mean, Jonathan Majors looks amazing in this movie; he looks super jacked. Uh, and but you know, she, at one point she's like, "You're like you disgust." She basically says to him, "You disgust me," because he's part of the group that's holding her hostage. And then later they kind of have a thing. You know, I, I don't know. It, that never really. It just doesn't seem plausible to me that that would occur.
1: Yeah, um, right. right. But, but anyway, the other thing that really bothered me is the um, the moment where we find the gold. Like, I, I get the joke that he's going to poop and he finds the gold. Like, okay, it just felt like a pretty lazy, lazy way to find it. But then you're going to swerve us and say, "Oh, the 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 chest is empty," which feels like. That should be the first thing you find. But the first thing we find is the empty chest. And then we find some gold, right? You don't find gold and then an empty chest and then more gold, right? That just feels weird to me. No. Well, I think we're getting
0: increasingly more and more nitpicky as this goes on. I know. I'm sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, I I include myself in that escalating uh, escalating description, Jeff. Uh, You know, one thing that we haven't mentioned, actually, is that uh, Delroy Lindo's character is a Trump supporter.
1: Hey, I mentioned that straight up. Oh, that hat, right. man. That hat yeah, is a. I, I that apologize. Hat a character.
0: <laughs> I apologize <laughs> yeah. if I missed that. Yeah. Term, but um, uh, yeah, and not only that, but Spike Lee actually calls out in rather explicit fashion a black Trump supporter at an actual Trump rally, uh, in the archival footage he uses. Which I'm just like, huh. I don't know. Not yeah. exactly sure how I feel about that, but. Uh, I I did find it I did find this, this idea very compelling that there is something about Trump that speaks to people, uh, and I'm I'm saying people like Delroy Lindo, but not just necessarily black people. Mm-hmm. People who uh f- feel like disenfranchised, right? Who feel like um society has taken a lot away from them, right? And that like Trump is kind of empowering your baser instincts to take things back. And uh, I thought that was a, a pretty compelling idea, as as portrayed by Delroy Lindo. This, right, you know, right. he's lost so much. Um, he has basically murdered this guy who he really looked up to. It, it the fact that he went to war has destroyed his relationship with everyone he loves, including his son. Uh, they have a very contentious relationship, and it's very clear he was not there for him. And so, so basically, like America has taken so much from him, right? And his solution is. I'm going to go with the guy that's going to stick it to everyone else. Yeah. That's going to go with the the rich,
2: the rich criminal. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And I thought that was, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not something I've seen explored on, on film before at all. Um, And I, uh, I just think this movie is unique. It's, it's ambitious and that's, it's, it's over ambitious. That's a downside. But the upside is like you're not going to see another movie like this this year, and that's true. Uh, and I appreciate that, um, Wilson. Curious what you thought of of uh, that part of Delroy Lindo's character.
3: Um, you know, that like it's kind of funny as we mentioned, ambitious. Yeah, like Spike threw a lot in there, you know, especially per character. You know, you have Clark Peters with the child by a prostitute, <laughs> you know, who's making the connections. You've got Norm Lewis as a guy who, who, who's, who's broke and really still has enough money to pay for, to try to pay for all four of their trips, you know? And then you have Del Rio who's everywhere, you know, who's mad at the world. And as you mentioned, is a Trump supporter, uh, which is definitely, uh, uh, you don't see that in movies, you know, you won't see, I don't think anybody's going to make a movie with a black Trump supporter out there, you know? And he, 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 there was no way of defining that character. And then you have his son, you know, who comes in, who's a school teacher, and he's had a wayward upbringing with his father, but still cares enough to go, you know, leave his job and go all the way to Vietnam to find his father and take care of him, knowing his father's kind of losing his mind um, in there. And so, like, that way, in defining, you know... In, um, Spike must have had a field day playing his character. Like he just like, okay, we're gonna have him do this. Let's up the ante, you know. Like he is the the guy who, you know, you can see from the restaurant. He's like, don't touch me, don't look at me, don't talk to me. You know, he's he's not racist, but you know, the way he's been treated, you know, he, he's just more comfortable with his own skin, with his own people, um, and at the same time. You know he, he wants to complete a mission. At the same time, he's also racked with guilt. You know for what happened uh, with Chatterwick, and it's interesting how, as we're talking spoilers here, how that's never across came across to anybody else as to what really happened. Mm-hmm. Like we, in the audience, see what happens, but they don't. You know, so you never get that moment like you think it will be predictable. We're like, oh, they're gonna find out that you know he's he's gonna tell them. You know, they, it was a friendly fire. Um, but it never came up, which was kind of like a plus to the movie that like, oh, we're not getting the answers. They're not going to find out, you know. So, again, you know, it's all going back to Delroy's performance. And, you know, he, he kept raising the button over and over again. Mm
2: hmm.
1: I have one more uh, nitpick, if I may.
0: (laughs) (laughs) After that, you know... Keep it going. Keep it going. description of the film. Jeff's going to chime in with another nitpick.
1: Go ahead. I know. Beautiful beautiful stirring. I had nothing to add, so I'm going (laughs) to change course entirely. It was a lovely thing to say. Um, I also kind of bothered me how the movie sort of hand waves away the extraction of the remains. There's no mention of how they even did that. You know? Like, that should be kind of a big deal. Like, we see this casket at the end, which supposedly has the remains in it, but did they put the remains in their backpack?
2: Yeah, I guess uh, I guess they did. I guess right. we don't know. We don't know how they did that. I think they laid out the plan that they would call um, some organization, but I don't know if it was like, hey, come to the site and pick this up or we'd bring it to them. But it seems easy enough for them to just bring it in the backpack. Yeah. I mean, if you can bring a ton of gold, you could bring, you know, whatever you find of your friend, unfortunately.
1: I I don't know. I felt like a a, a detail that would have that could have borne fruit narratively. And also I was curious about, you
2: know, let me throw in not a nitpick here, but I do wonder, like the wonder of Spike Lee's narrative powers. Like sometimes I think he does overreach. But man, the scene with the mine and then how it trans like instantly translates like tr- turns into something completely different like how which, which like, scene
0: specifically are you talking the
2: about? scene where um the son is standing on the mine oh and yeah they have Inc- to incredible. pull him off like incredible. incredible and then flips like instantly flips to oh you're my hostages now um yeah great yeah. stuff. like great stuff yeah. like it's that tonal shift which feels jarring you know and it kind of it, it i feel like a lot of filmmakers would not try to pull something like that but that That is the risk you take sometimes with a Spike Lee movie, and I dig it. Like I love that feeling in that ride.
1: Totally agree with you. But again, again, we literally go from the scene where it's all about tie them up, tie them up. I don't want to tie them up, tie them up. Cut. They're not tied up. They're walking freehanded. I'm like, what what was all the business about tying them up? They're just walking along with us. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be like that, but I just it, for me, the movie felt it felt like this two and a half hour movie where, there's like a three and a half hour cut that feels better. You know?
2: Yeah. yeah. This is basically a Netflix series that is either maybe yeah. a little too short, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or a movie that's too long maybe, yeah. but uh, the, uh, the mindset. Yeah. So Wilson, that, there's your, there's your answer to the question is we need some white people to explain what the minds are. You see, uh, otherwise the they would are. have no idea what to do in that situation. Yeah,
3: you Yeah. Know, when they showed up, you were like wondering, okay, wh- where are we going with this? You know, like <laughs> two, you know, two, the two guys are obviously from Black class. and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give you on <laughs> your next, I'm going to put you in my next movie. You know, like Paul poor, poor Walter Hauser bar- barely spoke a word. You know, <laughs> he barely spoke a word. And like you said. The romance between uh, uh, Jonathan and the girl that seemed to be like, where are we going with this? You know, this yeah. is not Miracle. You know, are you now the Derek Luke character from Miracle of St. Anna? You know, <laughs> it's like, do we need a romance here? It's like, no, like it was yeah. not necessary. Yeah.
2: I, I don't um, think they needed the romance, but man, it is. I do think those characters do serve a purpose or at least Hetty does because she her family got rich off the war. You know, she's from, she's from a warmongering family. And like, this is how she is dealing with her guilt. And I think in many ways, it's very stereotypical, you know, like it is very much the granola country country, right? White girl who's out there in other countries trying to fix things, uh, except in this case, I think yeah, maybe she has a certain like a certain moral, you know, balance she wants to correct. And I, I kind of understand that. Uh, I want to
0: shout out, and I'll link to this in the show notes. Um, but the author and writer uh, Viet Tan Nguyen uh, wrote a, a. He basically live tweeted his viewing of uh, the Five Bloods, and it's uh, it's very good. It's it, you know the Vietnamese perspective is also a very interesting one here. And there was one. Um, tweet in this that really kind of uh caught me um and he writes here uh quote Vietnamese soldiers getting killed these he's, he's like reached the point of the movie where Vietnamese soldiers gets killed he says quote Vietnamese soldiers getting killed fuck it's a movie but it still hurts that's our place in the American imagination tour guides sidekicks whores and lovers bastard kids the enemy getting wiped out facelessly does it matter if black guys are doing it question mark end quote and uh yeah i thought i did i do think it's it's um just a, a perspective worth considering is like the vietnamese perspective in this movie they do have um like a good vietnamese character and like bad vietnamese characters so there is like balance in that respect but obviously um uh and i think that's actually part of the point of the movie too to be honest with you is that like even in this movie, which obviously considers the perspective of characters, uh, of ethnicities that we don't typically consider when we're looking at Vietnam w- uh, War movies. Yeah. Um, even in this movie, uh, I, I you could make the very plausible argument that the Vietnamese characters are marginalized in this, yeah, right? they're fire. Um,
2: I think that specific scene he was pointing to was the one where the Vietnamese soldiers were just like talking about life and like, wasn't it poetry? And like, it was like something very very mundane and very kind of sweet. And then our heroes come in and gun them down, murder them (laughs) all. I don't like the point of that. Yeah. That's the point of the scene is that these guys that you're following are doing very bad things, you know? So talk about Spike Lee being very uh, on point or at least very blunt about what he's saying. That was the point of that scene for sure.
1: It it wasn't even just poetry. It was literally about coming home Yes. To their loved ones. Yes. Yeah. You know, it was like poetry about returning home safely and then they get slaughtered. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty intense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I would recommend reading the whole th- uh, thread for a, a, another perspective on, uh, on the movie. Um, so as, as we're wrapping up here, uh, the movie does end with uh, a, an explicit uh, reference or tie in to Black Lives Matter, which Feels incredibly timely. Um, I didn't really fully grasp like the plot machinations that happened. My my sense was basically they were able to exfiltrate the money, uh, the gold, right? And they like donated to good good causes, pretty mm-hmm. much, right? Like everyone got their share, and um, and a million millions of that the dollars worth of that money went to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, as a kind of uh, you know, re- restorative kind of justice there um so yeah I, i'm just uh curious if uh anyone has any thoughts on the end of the movie um or any uh any closing thoughts about the five bloods overall
3: what i would say is spike always tries to end his films with some sort of message that you can walk away with you know uh it's not just simple enough that they got to the go but he wants to leave you with a message that you know that carries just like he did with black Klansmen, to hit you up with like listen Whatever this, these guys went through, we're still going through it today, you know, and reparations in a way, you know, the, that's the key word, reparations, you know, was it, it was in Black Klansman and, and it's happening today. And maybe you have to look back at his previous films, you know, whether it's in that includes Chirac and the others to see if that's a growing trend, it started either with Black Klansman or was it there before and we're just now noticing it, you um, you know, he always wants to leave you with a message. He just doesn't want to end it. I remember going back to even She Hate Me, you know. Um, and sometimes, you know, like uh, the, the screenwriter of that, uh, Michael Janay, he said, oh, I had my ending. But Spike, you know, wanted to throw his ending, you know. <laughs> and he kind of said it where, like, Spike's not in your room. Is like, oh, so you guys probably differed on uh, what you how you want it to end, you know. And Spike's on a roll right now, you know, like he, he definitely wants to throw in um, his angle of how he sees things. And as he's talking about this movie, he's saying, listen, he grew up around Vietnam. He was five or six or seven, you know, when these things were happening. I guess his only recollection is what he saw on TV. And so, you know, through his age right now, you, ha- you haven't seen a film uh, with blacks in Vietnam, you know, as it is right now. We can't find twenty legitimate, you know, during Memorial Day weekend, I I was trying to find what are the best Memorial Day films, war films that includes uh that's centered around black soldiers. You know, it was a stretch just to find 10. Mm -hmm. You know, you could barely find twenty. You know, obviously we're thinking uh Tuskegee Airmen, Glory, you know, just war films, but no one's done uh black soldiers in Vietnam and what they went through, you know, as 20-year-olds. And if you're still alive, you know, you're in your fifties, no, 60s to 70s at this point right now. Um, and so he wanted to give you that sort of recollection. And so this movie is meant for a lot of people. You know, drawing in what's happening today reflects today's youth. And the story will reflect anybody 40 and over as far as what's going on. And we sometimes need this uh, commercial film to remind us you know what went down even if some of the plot lines are it's pure fiction but you get a sense because you know you, you reading about it in text or hearing about it doesn't doesn't give you any sort of uh clarity and even if you see a film you get an idea
0: all right well i think we can we can wrap it up there but yeah uh completely agree there's very few movies uh like what you're describing wilson and there's yeah. also very yeah. few movies That are told from the Vietnamese point of view, you know, which is another point of view that I think is, uh, this, this movie kind of raises as one that might be worth considering as well. Uh, for me, it it did at least. Um, so anyway, I think we can end it there, uh, but that's going to bring us to the end of our review of The Five Bloods. You can watch it right now on Netflix. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what We'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Wilson Morales, where can people find your work on the internet?
3: You can find me over at Blackstone.com, And, you know, a lot of times you can see it through, you can hear what I have to say through Twitter, as well as Instagram and Facebook using Film.
2: All
0: right. Check Wilson out at those locations. Devendra Hardor, what about you?
2: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Devindra. I write about tech at engadget.com. So check me out there. I'm also doing the Engadget podcast. So be sure to subscribe to that. How about you, Jeff Kanata?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two n's and one t. I do a video game podcast called DLC. You can find that at fivebyfive.tv/dlc. I do a science comedy show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run, which you can find um, anywhere you get podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. Or you can watch live Wednesday nights at six PM Pacific Time at caffeine.tv/slash/the dungeon run,
0: and check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, uh, at culturallyrelevantshow.com. I also just launched a new podcast called Truth versus Hollywood with Joanna Robinson, where I am evaluating uh, six movies based on real life stories, talk about why and how they differ from their real life events. Check that out. Culturally Relevant, Truth versus Hollywood, wherever podcasts can be downloaded. Next week it's currently looking like we're going to be reviewing Shirley, which is right now on Hulu. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the uh, new movie about uh, Shirley Jackson uh, starring Elizabeth Moss, uh, directed by Josephine Decker. So the movie Shirley is on Hulu. Check that out. That is currently the plan for what we're reviewing next week. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, so that's going to bring us into this week's episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
1: We